want to talk a bit more about uh, the situation in, in Ukraine and how we can meaningfully send a message to Vladimir Putin uh, that this needs to stop. We have seen considerable sanctions imposed by Western countries, sanctions uh, targeting the Russian economy, targeting Russian individuals specifically. And I think a lot of the oligarchs uh, are very rattled by all of this. I mean, if we view Russia as a kleptocracy, is this the best way of responding? There's an interesting op-ed this week that made that very point, that it's money and not missiles that can lead to Putin's undoing. That without being able to use Russia as an ATM, uh, as our next guest uh, tweeted, Putin will be a very lonely man. So joining us to talk a bit more about uh, how effective this kind of response can be and what this all might mean uh, for Putin and his uh, allies in Russia. Very pleased to welcome to the program uh, here this morning, uh, Alexander Raghi, who is uh, founder and president of TRACE, uh, an international anti-bribery association, much more, traceinternational.org. Alexander, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so what have you made so far of, you know, the, the sanctions that have been leveled against Russia and against individuals? How, how powerful, how meaningful is, has all of this been so far? It's, it's been a really powerful coordinated response. The ability of the international community to get to Putin is kind of breathtaking if they're willing to use the tools that are available to them. You have to imagine Putin's world as entirely propped up with just mounds of illicit cash. And it ends up being a sort of pyramid scheme because you've got to pay off the people below you to, to keep yourself in power. There's no, there's no ideology. It's, it's pure greed. It's entirely transactional. So if you cut off that funding, you, you don't have the ability to buy their loyalty anymore. And if there's no other basis for the loyalty and there isn't, then this goes right to the heart of, of Putin's power. It's interesting. I mean, we think of Russia as an autocracy, but, you know, the term kleptocracy, the idea that, you know, the corruption is at the heart of this, that personal gain is at the heart of this, uh, the political power stems from from wealth. I think that really describes, you know, Putin's regime, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's circular because um, he he uses the, the money, the wealth of the, that is rightly the Russian people's, he uses that to buy his power and then he uses his power to increase his, his wealth. So it's entirely circular, and he just throws off whatever he needs to to his cronies to, to keep them happy. But, you know, the whole world has been participating in this pretty actively for a long time, and, and it, it's time it stopped. It's sad that it, it took um, just a devastating attack on a neighbor for us to finally pay attention. But, you know, he's been buying his reputation around the world with you know, international sporting events, putting names on buildings. They're really good at using the money to buy a veneer of legitimacy. Well, and it begs the question that, I mean, if, if Putin's not able to enrich himself, if his friends and allies are not able to enrich themselves anymore, and in fact, if they're losing wealth, they're losing their assets, what does that mean in, in the longer run? Uh, it means they're going to be cornered and uh, they're going to be frightened. Their their security depends on their their cash flow, and I mean that really, really literally because they can buy you know golden passports and golden visas that get them out of the country to places that they consider safer for themselves and safer for them families their families. There's there's no point really in in looting a country unless you can spend the money spend the money on you know, health care in London or education for your kids in the United States or whatever it is. 
they want to be able to spend that money for their security and for their lifestyle. And if they can't do those things, then they're trapped, and quite literally, right, with the airlines uh, being prohibited, with uh, Russian flights prohibited internationally, they are trapped in their own country. Are we are we able though to to really go after the bulk of this money? Because as you say, there's some pretty complex networks that exist. There's some some assets that uh, you know are off the books or all kinds of different shell games to to hide ownership of certain assets. I mean, we've heard about you know yachts being seized, that kind of high profile thing. But are we really able to get to the core of all of this this wealth? Yeah, that's really the key question. We've waited too long. In many respects, a lot of this wealth, particularly Putin's personal wealth, is really deeply embedded in Western economies through multiple layers of uh, shell companies, uh, through third parties that hold the money for him. It's going to be really hard to to disentangle that. On the other hand, um, his cronies have been a little less careful. And we do know where a lot of that money is, and you can you can change the laws and bring that money to light uh, retroactively. The UK is is very serious about a bill right now that will have you know complete transparency for ownership of real estate in London, which we know has billions of Russian dollars, rubles. Uh, and if those owners have to step forward and expose themselves, that that property can be seized. So we're we're catching up. Uh, we're not in as good a place as we could have been if we had started this 10 years ago when we saw what was happening, but we didn't act on it. But there's still a lot that can be done. The yachts are, are great. They're good for morale, uh, but that's not what's going to bring Putin down. Well, how much of that exists in Canada? I mean, you, you know, you talk about in, in the UK and London where, where a lot of this wealth is, is held and, you know, publicly you've got Russian billionaires who own soccer teams, et cetera. You wrote in your op-ed about in Monaco where, you know, they, they have menus in Russian for, for the, uh, the oligarchs' vacation there. But to what extent does that exist in Canada, do you think? Well, two parts. The first part is we're not sure, of course, because the Mm -hmm. money is obscured through these shell companies. But I think the general sense is that Canada hasn't been a favorite destination for dirty Russian money. It, um, you know, there's certainly kleptocratic money invested in Canada, but it doesn't tend to be a favorite spot for for Russia. Uh, England, I think, London uh, bears the brunt of that. Paris, uh, Miami, certainly New York, less in Canada. Right. I mean, we saw Roman Abramovich, uh, one of the most high-profile Russian billionaires, uh, mm-hmm. forced to, to sell his soccer team. I, I don't know if he'll still financially benefit from the sale, but I think that's you know an example of some of that retreat, isn't it? It, it is. And I think in his case, he's made some noises about donating some of the money to Ukraine, but a lot of that will be um, lip service, right? It's, sure. it's a very... It's a very difficult and unpopular time to be a, a Russian oligarch, and I think they're imagining that the war will end and they'll hunker down and it'll be business as usual, and I hope they're wrong. Well, in, in order to make sure they're wrong, what, what more do we need to do, do you think? We need to take advantage of the momentum that we have now and, and really embed this in laws. There's been so much discussion for so long now about beneficial ownership registries, so you actually know who owns a company, and it's not just a shell company owned by a shell company controlled by a blind trust, but you actually know who, who owns it. Um, and things like the golden passports and golden visas that allow people just to, to switch their citizenship uh, mid-career. And it would be very helpful as a just a matter of sort of public interest to stop the reputation laundering that has been going on for 
decades. I mentioned the sporting events. That's certainly true. Names on buildings. Mm -hmm. But a lot of this dirty money funds think tanks. And then, you know, if you are the primary funder of a think tank, of course you can direct the conversation in a way that makes the most sense for you. Or you can have a chilling effect on what's discussed at that think tank. We've got to stop accepting this money as if it's normal mainstream money and, and treat it like the, you know, the criminal proceeds that it is. Well, much more is mentioned at traceinternational.org. Alexander, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. Thank you. All the best. Uh, that is uh, Alexandra Raghi, uh, as mentioned, uh, with uh, Trace International. And uh, so some interesting points about how we go after this dirty money and, and how important and valuable that, that uh, kind of a strategy can be. So she's the founder and president of Trace, traceinternational.org.